Subcutanean. This is a novel that changes for every new reader. No two copies are ever quite the same. This podcast is an unabridged recording of the version generated by Seed 01893. Chapter 9 I woke to the smell of stale nicotine. Nico was leaning against the stairs back up to my room, staring dully into the dark, a lit cigarette between his fingers. Our lease says no smoking in here, I grunted, still shaking off nightmares. He took another drag. Blow me. I laughed, and he flashed me a wicked grin. It felt good to laugh, even if I mostly did it to make sure he knew that I knew he was kidding. Rubbing my eyes, I sat up in my sleeping bag. After a moment, I scrunched myself over beside him, back against the stairs. We steeped in smoke and silence for a long minute. Did I ever tell you, he finally said, about that time I went up camping by myself up in Brush Willow? I shook my head. Used to do that a lot after the, uh, accident. I took that in. He hadn't brought it up in a long time. Neither had I. I went by myself because I didn't want a lot of people around just then, and it's easier than twisting people's arms to get them to come with you, planning around schedules, all that bullshit. He shifted into citation voice. The man who goes with another must wait until they're ready. The man who goes alone can leave today. Yeah, Thoreau, you quote that one a lot. He shrugged. I like it up there. Anyway. I waited, staring into the world beige universe of the carpet. So this one night I'm up there, alone. I'm in my tent, and it's dark. Cloudy, no moon. I'm sleeping fine, on my back, you know, head up against the edge of the tent. And then I wake up, because I hear something outside. Just outside. He sucked on the cigarette. Something breathing. Low, hissing, gurgling breathing. Sounded huge, like a bear or something. Or a big-ass wolf. And it was right on the other side of the tent flap, inches from my face. Like something had pressed its muzzle up against the nylon, that thin little nothing sheet of ultralight fabric, and was waiting. It could smell my breath, maybe, waiting for me to move. And as soon as I did, it would get me. I still remember what that felt like. Fucking terrifying. I was too scared to move, so I lay there a long time, hoping it would go away. But it didn't. The thing stayed where it was. Kept making those horrible breathing sounds. Inhale, exhale. Raspy, choking. He flicked the cigarette onto the carpet, rubbed it out with his foot. And then I realized where the sound was coming from. The breathing was coming from me. I was sleeping on a root or something. My head had gotten into some funny angle. I was snoring, basically, and woke myself up. But I didn't realize what woke me was the sound I was making myself. I was too tired to process this. Cool story. Do you get what I mean, though? I rubbed a hand over my face, tried to think. You're saying maybe there's not a thing down there, that somehow all of it is us? Echoes, he said. Reflections. The rooms are reflections of our shitty old house, and the things we're seeing, experiencing down there, maybe they're not alive. We're causing them somehow, and now we're ascribing intentionality to side effects, jumping at our own shadows. He lay back down in his sleeping bag, staring up at the ceiling. I remembered something from a neurology class. Did you know there are more neurons going from your brain to your eyes than in the other direction? So? From your brain to your eyes, I repeated, not the other way around. He blinked. That doesn't make sense. It does if you realize that vision is mostly the brain telling the eyes what it expects them to see. I rubbed my face again, trying to wipe off the exhaustion. We think we have two little cameras in our head. We don't. We have little yes-men reassuring us that nothing unexpected is happening. That's why that trick works with the guy in the gorilla suit. You ever see that video in school? 
He nodded. You're watching a bunch of people toss a ball around, and the guy in the gorilla suit walks right through them, and it's like he's invisible. He even waves, but you don't see him the first time because you're watching the ball. Then you watch it again looking for him, and your mind's blown. He smiled faintly. Due to my high school science class, swore the teacher changed the tape. You don't see the gorilla because you don't expect to. There's no reason he'd be there, so your eyes don't notice him, even though he's in plain sight, standing right in front of you. We were both quiet for a while. So maybe we're somehow looking at this wrong, I finally said. We're not seeing something. We keep saying it doesn't make any sense. Maybe we're just not seeing it the right way. Maybe, he closed his eyes. Or maybe there's nothing there to see. Nico, about the accident, I swallowed. That night, he rolled over. Don't want to talk about it. I know, but if you ever did want to, I mean, if you ever needed that again, I don't. Go the fuck to sleep, man. We both closed our eyes and tried. I could feel the camcorder dream lingering, eager to take over again. I tried to fight it off, but I was so tired. Even if we are the wolf, Nico muttered, just as I was about to drift off, that doesn't mean it's not trying to kill us. I got fired from my job, which was fair enough. I'd missed two shifts in the past week. I got a nosebleed during the meeting with my manager. He told me to go home and take care of myself. I was halfway home before I remembered that phrase has a positive meaning, too. I thought he was telling me to commit suicide. Something was in my room when I got back. I stood outside the closed door, dried blood on my face, listening. It sounded like an elephant. Heavy, clopping footfalls made the floorboards groan. Wet, agitated breathing rasped. Dust motes danced at my feet in a strange breeze, sucked under and pushed back out through the space below the closed door, rhythmically. Air moved with faint, fleshy sounds, like a hundred quiet people flapping their arms, flailing. I crept away, miserable, and by the time I came back with Nico and he threw open the door in some play at courage, there was nothing there. I collapsed into his arms, sobbing, and he let me stay there for a while until I'd calmed down. I clung to him, afraid if I loosened my grip he'd disappear, like Dad tucking me in, gone between one blink and the next. He had a perpetual headache now. He kept describing it with the word stabbing, and only that word, as if clinging to the sound of it, like using a different word would acknowledge the pain too had changed, grown worse, was no longer caged by the word he'd picked to trap it. I could see how much it hurt him to think, to make words, to move around. He ground his teeth. He stood up carefully now, putting a hand against the wall each time, as if his blood was fighting his heart's attempts to lift it to his head, to keep it from being dragged back down. My headaches weren't getting worse, not yet, anyway. It was the strain of always having them that wore on me, of wondering if we'd have to deal with them for the rest of our lives. We left to explore down the slippery tunnel late that night. It might have made more sense to leave after a good night's rest, but neither of us could sleep, and spending so much time down there meant night and day were increasingly academic concepts anyway. Nico caffeined up, I was jittery enough already, and we loaded our packs with canned food and power bars, thick gloves, and crampons from the sporting goods store. Twelve points of contact ensures solid grip on ice, the box had said. We didn't expect the manufacturer had tested them on moldy carpet, but it was the best we could do. In my pack was also a gun. I bought it from a place I'd driven past every day on my way to work, but never got into until that morning. The friendly clerk agreed to waive the mandatory waiting period in exchange for the last of my ATM cash. I didn't tell Nico about the gun. I thought it would make me feel safer, but it just felt heavy. It had been a hot day, and the old house clung to that heat through the night with grim brick desperation. 
descending into chillier air was a relief. With every step down, the headaches diminished, our mood improved. It was almost addictive being down there. We retraced our route through the upper halls to the top of the shaft and reset the grapples. This time, Nico hammered them into the door jamb, face set, until he'd driven the steel spikes three inches into the wood. Even so, neither of us really expected they'd still be there when we got back. When, or if. Getting down was a familiar exercise now, danger mitigated by procedure and repetition. We retraced our route to the tiled room with the sink via the shortcut we'd found. The water was still running, hot and steaming, rushing across the floor to the corner with its angled hallway lined with slimy black carpet. We shined our lights down the hot throat and the steam grabbed their brightness, bounced it back to us maliciously. We couldn't see more than a few body lengths down. Nico ran a hand through his curls, deflating again in the hot moist air, scratched the hair behind his ear furiously like a dog with an itch. He was shaking. Are we sure about this? Really, really? Because it sort of seems like a colossally stupid thing to do. You have a better idea? No. Is that what lemmings say to each other, you think, before jumping? The lemming thing is a myth. I shrugged out of my pack and unzippered it, digging for gear. Walt Disney made it up because a bunch of wriggling rats made for boring footage. Good story, though, isn't it? He sighed, looking down the steaming shaft unhappily. No, I don't have a better idea, he said at last. We pulled on the crampons and the heavy gloves. Harness, rope, knots, check. Nico pounded two new grapple buddies into either side of the angled tunnel entrance. We tied on. Double check. Then, each holding our rope, kicking hard to sink the sharp toes of the crampons deep into the slimy carpet, we started down. It was slow, hot work. Once we got inside the slanted hall, the steam was oppressive everywhere. We were instantly drenched with it like rot-smelling sweat. Even with the crampons, our feet constantly slipped. The sludge was deep and slick, a stew of algae and mold and fungal slimes, green-black and stinking of putrefying jungle, of horrible things happening under your carpet, inside your walls. We held tight to the ropes with steam-wet gloves. The floor and walls twisted and bent as we descended, as if the constant moisture had warped them, but the downward angle stayed relentlessly vicious. It was a gullet. We were letting ourselves be swallowed. No, worse. We were forcing ourselves in. Eager like we couldn't wait to be digested. We were nearing the end of our first hundred feet of rope when everything went to shit. All at once we were sliding. Our ropes had gone slack in our hands, no longer connected to anything. There was no time to dig in with our crampons. We were already moving too fast, careening down the hallway like a grotesque slalom. Neither of us screamed, focused, I guess, on trying to grab hold of something, anything. But there were no doorways, no light fixtures, nothing but the thick, hot slime and the scalding water. I tried to dig my feet into the oozing carpet, but my loose rope had entangled me. My pack was in my way. My face was smeared with scalding gunk, and I couldn't open my eyes. My hand closed on Nico's leg, and I grabbed it. A moment later, the floor angle shifted, and he cried out, threw his body sideways, brought us both to a shuddering, squelchy stop. We were soaked through, overheating. Scalding water ran down the slope past us. I blinked my eyes open and saw he'd wedged himself into a kink in the tunnel. One of his knees was scraped open, and a dull red mark on his forehead was beginning to swell. But he'd done it. He'd stopped us. Ropes slithered down the tunnel past us, followed moments later by two grapples still tied to their ends. Nico reached out to grab one with his free hand, but his weight shifted and he had to throw the hand back against a wall to rebrace, cursing. I tried to snag them with my foot, but didn't even come close. They vanished down the tunnel, trailing rope. Nico's face was tight. He tilted his head down toward me. This was a mistake. God, we're so fucking stupid. 
Ryan, man, we have to go back. Calm down, I gasped, head filled with the roaring of the water, blinking gunk from my eyes. Don't panic, we can do this. Man, I'm barely holding on. I don't know how much longer I can keep from slipping. We have to try to climb back up. Back? I said, confused. Do you want to go back? He stared down at me. Of course back. Are you fucking crazy? Where the fuck else? There's nothing good up there. Nothing right. I kicked my foot for purchase, managed to rest at least some weight on a hidden protuberance. Besides, nothing's changed. The plan's still the same. This is the best lead for finding a way back to our side. Are you not paying attention? He hissed, furious. Something is trying to kill us. So let's find out how to stop it. I tried to keep my tone reasonable. We're halfway down already. Climbing back up will be hard regardless. Why not get all the way to the bottom first? Because we don't even know if there is a bottom. His face was blotched red with fury, with sweat, with the scorching heat of the air. Halfway? We have no fucking idea how deep this goes. I should have said this a long time ago. You're obsessed. You get obsessed a lot, man. Let it drag you down. Your stupid records. He took a deep breath. Well, now you're obsessed with this place, and it's blinding you. It's feeding on you, your obsessions, multiplying them. You can't see it, or maybe you don't want to, but I do. I'm looking right at it, like the gorilla in the crowd. I was angry. If I'm obsessed with anything, it's with finding a way back. We're running out of time. We either figure this out, or we're stuck here forever, on the wrong side. We need each other to get through this. I said it again, like saying it could make it true. We need each other. You're obsessed with me too, he muttered. When was the last time you hung out with someone else? When was the last time you did? He shook his head angrily, dismissing this. Our housemates, I pushed. When was the last time you hung out with any of them? Anyone other than me? He stared back, seething. Their names. I bet you can't even remember their names. I was bluffing. But could I remember them either? Names? Faces? No. There was nothing. None of those people mattered. Not to me. Not to us. We were the only thing that mattered. Getting back to where we'd been. What we'd had. What I'd wanted. He shook his head again, violent, like there was something inside it he wanted to dislodge. You're living in a fantasy, he spat. You always have been. I can't be what you want me to be, okay? I can't be what anyone fucking wants me to be. You all have these versions of me in your head, these ideal, perfect Nikos, but they're not real. I can't live up to them. He opened his eyes, stared yearningly back up the shaft. Help me. If you really care about me, help me back up. Don't be like everyone else. Don't just fucking use me to get what you want. Going back's not going to help. There's no answers up there. He wasn't understanding. I reached for something else. Those headaches aren't going away. You think you can live with that pain? Forever? Better than being fucking dead. He seemed to realize I wasn't changing my mind, turned away to reach for a handhold. But there was nothing there, nothing to grip, and he scrabbled pathetically at the slime. Is it? I shouted, angry, desperate. I had to say something, something that would make him stay, keep him here, and my mouth raced ahead of me. You won't make it up there, not with pain like that. We both know you won't. He tensed, glaring down at me. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? You know exactly what it means, I said, shaking. Never really helped you. I've done nothing but help you. I've always been there for you. Every fucking time you fall, I pick you back up. You'd be dead if it weren't for me. He shot me with a gaze of such cold fury, I cringed. You're fucking poison, he hissed. You know that? A fucking snake. I wish you'd let me die that night. I wish we'd never met. Let go of me! And his hand did close on something, and he pulled himself up, triumphant. His leg was slipping out of my hands, and I couldn't bear for him to crawl away from me, couldn't handle the thought of going back up to that world, to any world, where everything was wrong and nothing I wanted was possible. So I pulled. I pulled too hard. And both his hands slipped, 
and he crashed back into me, only I wasn't holding on to anything but him anymore, so both of us tumbled down, faster and faster, slipping and twisting and scraping together down the steepening blood-hot slope, down and down and down, into darkness. I hope you're enjoying this audio version of Subcutanean, but this is just one way the story could go. Find out how to get your own unique version by searching for Subcutanean on Twitter, Facebook, Goodreads, or Indiegogo. And thanks for listening.